we start this? I don't know how we start this. Yeah, I mean, I think we can do a, a quick little intro. I don't know. I guess we like always just jump right in. But yeah, when we think like we're about to start, we always have like already started 10 minutes <laughs> yeah. before. Yeah. So maybe this is already the show. Who knows? Yeah. I'll talk uh, to the editor. But for our listeners, I'm excited that today we're being joined by friend of the show, uh, Metis Kren. <laughs> And uh, he's an amazing designer. I don't know if I said it right. I think I said it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you can already got it wrong. You can also call me Matthias. 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 Nailed it. He's an amazing designer, and I've been following him ever since he released the uh, car UI concept. Oh, like wow. forever ago. I don't know how long ago that was. Six years. But that feels like a lifetime ago now. Uh, and probably our listeners have seen it. Honestly, like I think it was pretty popular in the design circles. Do people still ask you about this? Yes, I. Um, uh, it is one of my prouder things, actually, that occasionally people reach out to me from um, from actually from car companies who say like, "Oh wow, you know, this thing was just on our inspiration wall." Blah blah blah. Um, kind of on our mood boards. Uh, so I think it's on a lot of mood boards. Because it looks flashy lasers, you know? <laughs> everything is like light blue. It's like typical Tony Stark UI. Right. But, you know, that has been the case for six years. And I haven't seen any car making like any significant strides uh, other than Tesla, maybe, in terms of uh, UI. So <laughs> it's, our, it's on our mood board. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's it. Well, Work done. <laughs> and I didn't follow you on Twitter. I was not aware of your existence except like i look back and i look through your work and i was like oh yeah no i remember that oh yeah i remember that and so before recording this like a couple hours ago i was like oh let me do some <laughs> let me actually prepare a little bit and i don't think i've ever been this intimidated by like a guest on this show what um, <laughs> like your work <laughs> like, dude and you're called rafa <laughs> <laughs> i was super impressed amazed it feels like you you live and operate on another like level you're transcendent from our mere mortal designers and you know tech people into like this other <laughs> realm and i was talking to kevin before it feels like if it's imagine that he found out that johnny ives white void was an actual place like you were born in that place right like you, you're super comfortable around <laughs> so, so it's it's great meeting you and now i do follow you on twitter so cool um <laughs> I'm uh, I'm honored that you would say that. Now, also the expect uh, the expectations are impossibly high, so <laughs> I will now just uh, completely mess everything up that I'm going to say from now on. <laughs> nice. So, so yeah. So that's how I basically learned about you, and then um, after that, you joined some kind of fruit company, and you did a talk about toast or something like that. At oh WMDC. yeah. You uh, see, <laughs> and then now. Um, You've kind of like came came back around like on my radar uh, with this new thing that you're working on, which is called VROS. Yes. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what VROS is and what's sort of your mo motivation behind it? Yeah. So I worked at Apple for uh, five years before leaving in uh, July 2018. And um, once I left, I started playing around with a couple of different ideas. Um, I was actually um, even thinking of making uh, a new car UI number two. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> um, because the, uh, 
new car UI as I, I don't know why I just called it a new car UI, but I guess I didn't have a better idea back then. Call um, it but new, so, new car UI. Yeah, like, exactly. Like the Twitter. The, the real... Car UI Noia. The real new... Yeah, exactly. The Noia car UI. <laughs> um, also, I was thinking of maybe doing that because the, the first one that I did was actually, uh, you know, it was a flashy, but not a lot of substance, really. Um, and uh, so, but I pretty quickly ended up converging on um, the idea to work uh, with kind of uh, HMDs as a platform. I don't even want to say like I wanted to work in VR because it wasn't really so much about it being VR. It was more about it being a new way of uh, looking at, you know, digital stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, trying to, to make something that I hadn't really kind of seen before. Um, I mean, we were all aware of kind of the same things that companies have been publishing on kind of in the VR and the AR space, uh, even though AR, I mean, it's that not even a thing yet, really. Mm-hmm. Um, other than phone-based AR, but that's a whole other story again. Um, but you're probably aware of a lot of the things that came out from kind of Oculus and, you know, the games that you could play on the Vives and whatever. Um, and uh, I just thought, hey, I thought it was could be interesting to um, do something that's more kind of just computing oriented, kind of geared towards making stuff on a computer, you know, using apps on a computer, just kind of good old desktop stuff. Like, like I love my laptop. I just love desktop operating systems. I'm still a huge fan. Um, I, I'm absolutely incapable of doing anything on a tablet. Um, <laughs> and uh, I feel like we're going to talk about that later. <laughs> Probably. Um, so uh, I just love computers that let me very freely work with my stuff, with my apps, my content, um, kind of decide what my workflow should look like as opposed to having that being very much um, suggested to me by the operating system. And uh, so I wanted to look at, okay, so desktop computing really has been looking very similar for a really long time. I just wanted to see what happens when I take away the monitor and I replace it with an HMD. Um, and yeah, that was a starting point. I have a million questions about VROS, and I'm sure we, we're going to dig into it. <laughs> I'm excited uh, to answer all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but even before we start talking about it, and by the way, sure. for people listening to this, if you haven't seen it, you know, this, what you're about to listen, like, it's not going to make a lot of sense. So I would recommend people pause this, watch the video. Uh, we're going to put links in the show notes. So just watch it. So at least you, you can see picture what we're talking about but even before we get to it like how does one how, do, how did you how did you decide they want to work on this like at this point you, you mm-hmm. mentioned so maybe you were you're considering maybe working on the car ui noia um well like you were looking for a big problem to solve you were looking because you're doing this for yourself like right? it's a it's your own project right yeah i um so the the circumstances of how this, like that whole phase of my life, I guess these last almost two years now uh, started, that's a bit of a longer story. There's a combination of kind of personal factors that um, 
kind of um i don't want to say like pushed me towards like leaving apple but certainly that made um where leaving apple was maybe a, a positive step in order to for the sake of resolving some of the personal things going on um and you know just needing more time for other things uh and uh and also being you know having been employed for something like 10 years um and uh thinking you know just kind of remembering uh one particular phase in my life where i actually just moved to san francisco right out of uh, university together with what was back then my girlfriend um and uh as i was waiting for um my work permit uh for my visa I knew I had a job lined up, but I knew I had to wait for it for six months. And that was uh, some of the most productive six months I ever had. And some of the most, uh, you know, uh, kind of creatively invigorating and also, you know, uh, moments where I would be able to learn new things, etc. So that was just a, a really inspiring uh, six months of my life. And yeah. I feel like a lot of the things that I learned, a lot of the skills that I taught myself back then, um, a lot of the ideas that I had back then um, ended up permeating a lot of the work that would follow over the next, yeah, however many years. Um, so I didn't, you know, I didn't mourn the fact that, or my, you know, my position at Apple, like I had a great time there. Like I would absolutely go back if they, you know, if they took me back today, I'd, you know, I'd go there again, no question. Um, and, but, you know, the way that things lined up, I was able to just see like a, a positive situation coming out of just leaving and, you know, focusing on some work that uh, I would kind of self-direct and, you know, being able to have more time to deal with some th some other home things. Um, and uh, so that was kind of, you know, I didn't um, have an idea in my head and I was like, oh my God, I really need to do this and I'm going to turn this mm. into this, like the next big startup and so I'm going to leave Apple and I'm going to, you know, pump all my resources into that. It was more of a taking a break seems like a, an okay thing to do right now. Yeah. And uh, in order for it to not just be a break where I do nothing, um, I also wanted to have, uh, I definitely wanted to put my time into an exciting creative challenge. And then it was just a matter of like thinking, you know, what are the things that have been floating around in my head for uh, a while? I don't know about you guys, but I've always had a running list of things that I thought could be interesting things that I could work on if, you know, I didn't have to answer to anyone. Oh, do we? Um, yeah. And, uh, and so, um, so yeah, this was, uh, this was kind of in the realm of something with desktop computer operating systems in combination with, you know, this new hardware that just kind of came about, right? Like, it's not like I've had VR as a new potential platform on my list for 10 years. This is something that has been kind of appearing almost out of nowhere, um, quite recently. It was inspiring to see the level of just how the thoughtfulness and how thorough you can be when you allow yourself to pursue an idea and like really live with it and pursue it without the constraints of like that idea being like caged by a business goal or, you know, we have to ship this in a way or like at least in this initial stage that it's 
super inspiring. Oh, totally. I, I found it really, um, I don't know, I guess a, an interesting, um, had no expectations uh, one way or the other, um, going into, um, kind of going into that, basically going into my garage and starting just to, to work from there. Um, and, uh, I found it, uh, interesting to realize what it means to, you know, every morning, get up and then eventually at nine, nine thirty or whatever, ten, when whenever I would actually find the time to like make it to the <laughs> garage, um, actually sit down and now be yeah, really totally self directed and not working towards any um any structure like um reviews, feedback sessions, presentations to people higher higher and higher and higher up the chain. Um, which all of those things can be actually really helpful in terms of allowing you to do your work because you have certain um you have certain motivations even if your motivation is that you need to hit the deadline for a design review it makes you do it you know but at the hmm. same time um it puts constraints on you because you have to focus inevitably you have to focus on um doing the work in a specific way so that it would be digestible by uh, you know, a certain moment during the week or every two weeks or every month or whatever. Um, and inevitably, some work goes into making something and preparing something for that stage, right? And in this case, it was more about finding the right things to do every day, every moment, uh, making meaningful next steps, completely independently of trying to please an audience of some kind you know the, the goal was just the finished artifact that i always knew needed to be a reasonably solid prototype um, that's interactive that i can put somebody into and without too much explanation have them use it that was the goal that was the only goal that i had starting out um, because i did want to show it around like i did want it to be something that people can experience and um yeah, so that's that's what drove kind of my day-to-day -day work. Nice. And yeah, I really like that, that it's kind of like, what type of work do you want to do when you basically can do whatever you want? Oh, yeah. And, and so it, it like, it's, it's the, I find that there's always a couple projects that just, they find you somehow. That's <laughs> like, I didn't choose to work on this. I just have to work on this idea because like, I keep thinking about it over and over. Yeah, totally. I, you know, back in the day when I was still employed at a company <laughs> and I was trying to, um, you know, do recruiting, uh, as one does pretty much all the time. Um, uh, that was usually the stuff that I was most excited about seeing in people's portfolios when they had a notion of, um, self-initiated work, stuff that, um, they just did because as you're saying, the work kind of found them. They they had some sort of urge maybe to do something about a problem that they saw or an opportunity that they thought they saw. Um, and um, I, I always thought that that was the most interesting stuff to look at because it would really tell you about somebody's passion. Um, and, you know, the flip side being portfolios where everything would just be this is work that I did because somebody told me I needed to solve this problem. I feel like it's tough for designers, new designers now, I guess, to to develop that. Like I also do a fair amount of, of hiring and I just, I don't know. 
if it, it's it's just that like we've been designing for like a much longer time and like there was less of a direct at least for me like on the stuff that i did when i started there was less of a direct kind of like commercial angle where it was just like i don't know like i let me just do things on the computer and like let's see what comes out of it and i feel like there's maybe more people of our generation that that had more of this self-starter mindset of like hey like i'm learning how to piece these things together because i have a random idea that i have versus i think now and like definitely not complaining about it but i think it's it's become more of like a an entrenched kind of job <laughs> that people have and so like i often find myself like when i work with younger designers through mentorship or something like that like like hey like what do you th- what do you think it should be <laughs> like how do you like what is your vision for this thing versus like you know looking outwardly to try to find those things like having that like deep kind of personal conviction about how a thing should be i think is is a thing that's hard to get and a thing that's hard to teach as well you just uh tweeted something the other day where you were saying oh there's these all these app concepts on dribble um they all have this style and it's a it's like a style for apps that don't exist yeah. <laughs> um and you know yeah it was all like co- really cozy like cozy look cozy looking iOS apps or something you know and and just you know all like bubbly and super rounded and colorful and nice gradients multidimensional gradients and um and but I do think that those are those things are kind of connected um as you're saying like it has become more of a job job and maybe younger designers really associate design with yeah i gotta you know i gotta know how to skin an ios app and so that's where they start and that's where they end they they think about you know making nice apps all the time um and i can only speak for myself but when i was starting i mean my portfolio the i mean portfolio quote-unquote portfolio my uh my text-based website <laughs> that has links to random experiments i think it goes back to something 2010 or 2008 or something like that and um back then i had no notion of what interaction design interface design like i had no clue that that was like a job really i was just like oh i can move things on the screen with javascript <laughs> holy shit you know i uh let me try to make a thing with the scroll bar. That's really interesting. And um, so all of my work is just these really not super purpose-driven. As you're saying, it's not like I didn't try to immediately turn a, a scroll bar experiment into a business idea. It's just it's just a little thing. Scroll bar as a service. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we, we uh, a while back now, like talked about something like this, like innovation in in just ui design nowadays how compared to like maybe early iphone days i feel like that was a really special moment and just like designers were going crazy with all sorts of shit because we were all trying to figure out this new uh this new device in you know multi-touch and all that um it feels like just today probably the the industry is so competitive and everything is like super you know data-driven and just optimized for conversion and that is the goal most of the time in most places you work so there's really no 
like how is the company going to support you to like go crazy maybe do something fun if there's no clear like benefit for for a company in need if that makes yeah. sense like it's harder for us but on the other side i think it's easier than ever to for a designer that maybe doesn't know how to code or whatever to get started you know like the tools are getting more and more accessible for us to create stuff so i don't i don't know i see these two possible forces <laughs> on one hand like the industry cuz it doesn't really want you to to be super creative there's really no not a lot of space for pure creativity uh but on the other hand like if you want to do it by yourself i think the tools are <laughs> that was like a an interesting tangent i'm curious to go back uh, to yes, vrls <laughs> and br- bring us back <laughs> um to a lot of the really cool innovations that you've brought on with this one of them i think is something you mentioned a lot called the bridge um can you explain a little bit more what this is and like how it affects your experience when you're in the vros experience definitely um i um let me actually step a few steps back before i talk about the bridge i um when I eventually decided what I kind of what I wanted to do, um, it was, you know, just because the question earlier was also like, yeah, how do you, you know, like, how do you decide what to do anyway? I can, you know, describe if I had to describe the, um, the process of working on this, it's really, I really started with the absolutely most basic, most fundamental component I knew I needed to have and really built it from there. So the first thing that I did was, okay, I'm going to need some rectangles on the screen. So meaning in this environment, um, and I'm going to have to be able to move them around with a mouse cursor um, because I knew I wanted a mouse. I knew I wanted, so I, I knew I wanted, I mean, a mouse or a trackpad. I just wanted kind of um, more conservative or, uh, you know, trusted input devices I didn't have, you know, I didn't start with, all right, let me first design the whole thing on drawings or let me first, you know, go and make a bunch of maybe static mocks of different environments, etc. Um, I really immediately built an interactive prototype of moving around a couple of rectangles in the environment wow. because I knew that um, I knew that that was table stakes anyway. And I also knew that by prototyping that, I would immediately learn so much about what the next steps would have to be. And uh, so it really grew from there. And uh, with kind of with everything that I would implement, I would learn so many more new things, you know, throw some of them out, redo something, etc. But really designing through prototyping, um, not designing through, you know, hypothesizing forever about like what could be or what you know, might not be the right solution. Uh, Maybe that's also a side effect of working on my own because it's not like I could have made a lot of drawings and put them on a whiteboard and then discussed (laughs) with a team. It's just, you know, I was just just sitting there, maybe occasionally making a super quick sketch of something and then just trying to implement it. Um, And so the way that I came to the bridge is also, um, you know, that was a kind of logical conclusion through many, many, many steps before that because of how I realized how certain behaviors um, were emerging and the bridge seemed like the 
almost a yeah the logical conclusion for some of the problems that I was trying to solve. Now to describe like um, sorry to describe quickly what the bridge is. It's basically um, it's kind of a um, how do I describe this? I mean, people really need to like <laughs> watch this uh, YouTube video. Um, but uh, it's kind of this. If you imagine you're sitting in like a bowl, like a really really big bowl <laughs> that's you know that's so it kind of circles around you all the way 360 degrees, and it kind of like the bowl like rises up to your I don't know whatever to your like hip level or even before below that. Um, and that's essentially that's kind of your command center. That's your own personal space that you have in this virtual um, and if, in this immersive operating system. And so that was helpful in several ways. First of all, um, it solves the question of okay, what is the actual environment around me? Because you don't want to just go, you don't want to put on an uh, HMD and be in empty space feels extremely uncomfortable. It can literally make you physically um, sick. And um, so you got to ground the experience anyway. Um, and so you can see in VROS, I actually have this kind of abstract landscape background. So that would give me um, a horizon. It's nice to know what's up, what's down. Um, it's nice for your eyes to have something to rest on when you're just looking into the distance, when you're not really looking at content that's kind of in front of you in the foreground. Um, like you want to give your eyes something to rest on at all times, essentially. Um, and then the bridge being surrounded by that um, and having that kind of be underneath you and connected to essentially what the floor, the ground plate is, um, You um, that helped defining the space then because it's there um, it's you can conveniently now use it to anchor certain UI elements to it um, the because another problem that you have when you remove your monitor um, and you just put on an HMD is you lose this natural place where you can anchor UI to right usually a lot of the UI that you see in your desktop operating system is anchored to the frame of your monitor. Um, it makes complete sense because you want the center of the monitor to be free, open for content, and then you have all your UI stuff, all your Chrome around that. Um, now, take away the frame of the monitor, and you know you don't actually have a natural place to just even put like the first button you're supposed to click onto uh, on to launch an app, right? Where do you put that if you're you're just sitting in an empty space? Hmm. So the bridge became this place, you know, I could have called it, I don't know, command center as well, because it does feel a little bit like this, I don't know, uh, USS Enterprise, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, pilot chair, Picard, whatever. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so that's where I started, you know, I, I knew okay. I needed. I knew that I needed some element anyway to um, as my you know where I could put, I guess a structural element that would allow me to initiate workflows and then also manage the workflow. And it felt like a self-imposed constraint because when everything is possible, you know, it kind of gets you paralyzed. So having that constraint, like that, sets the horizon of the actual UI for it. Totally. And even after you set yeah. that, you can, you know. 
build on top of it. So now actually I can use this other space for other stuff. And you already have like now this clear differentiation between these two planes. So they can, the user can already expect different behaviors from apps up on this, I don't know what you call it, the, you know, the, just call that the workspace. Yeah, sure. And the thing, you know, below it. um, No, totally. Yeah, absolutely. The moment you put something into the space, um, it somehow suggests uh, a function. If you make it look like more like a flat tabletop, people are going to have certain associations with it. You know, the bridge is a bit more of an abstract new shape. Um, It is shaped the way it is for very specific reasons. Um, which ultimately go back to, I don't know if you want to hear all the details about why the bridge is shaped the way it is. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> I like listen to all the, the videos of you geeking out about like the window geometry and stuff like that. I really <laughs> yeah. encourage our listeners to go listen to all that stuff. Um, we'll have links, but maybe you can give us like a TLDR version. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, it's the, because of the way that the windows and, 2D, 2D rectangular flat windows are essentially what I display my content in, mostly in VROS, for the exception of one um, kind of exploration into 3D content. Um, and the way that I'm moving around these flat windows is essentially on a circular um, kind of, or almost on a sphere around me. Um, and so that's why the bridge, uh, that's why the bridge looks the way it does. Um, because if the windows are moving basically in a circle around me, um, it just makes sense that the bridge would be circular as well to just even just visually indicate that this is what's going to be happening. And so that I can almost regardless of direction that I'm looking and that I'm interacting uh, in with a window, I could perform the same actions going from general workspace into the bridge and back um, without having to think like oh wait the bridge is a rectangle but my workspace seems that it curves around me so it's just mm-hmm. yeah it just it just makes sense that it's all one unit yeah you need and, to anchor it in reality like real physics yeah, yeah. And to me that shows why it's important to prototype something in the medium that you're trying to execute it because if you don't think too much about the details you're like oh yeah like you just have windows in space and it's like sure um but when you actually try to do it you're kind of like but wait a minute like why are all my windows kind of like pointing like not really pointing towards me and like how far you place windows from you make make it like much harder for you to read it so i think that was something cool that you like kind of go into that kind of level of detail like here's why it doesn't work and here's all the work that i did to actually make it feel normal and I, I think a lot of people would like say they were able to use this. They'd be like, "Oh yeah, that's just windows. Like, what's what's the big deal? Right. Like, what are you talking? Like, you yeah. know, what are you obsessing about?" And like, no, they look normal because I did this insane amount of work <laughs> figuring out how to make it look normal. Uh, yeah, it's definitely people's first intuition. You know, if you talk to them about something like that. Um, like, oh, if you could, you know, do all your computer work in VR, what would you want the environment to look like? Most of them are going to say, oh, I, I'd like, a, you know, a really big table surface. Uh, and I want a couple of walls around me that I can pin my work onto, you know, some stuff on the left, some stuff on the right, etc. Um, but, you know, a really easy, a really simple experiment that you can just do 
anyone is take your laptop and just move it, um, you know, have it straight in front of you just the way that you like it, and then just move it by one width of itself, you know, just move it over one laptop width, mm-hmm. um, just in a straight line over on your desk, <laughs> and then try working with it on it, right. you know, it's it feels like it's so impossibly um, facing far away from you, and it is so small and awkward. You would never. And it's like do you'd that. never do this. Exactly, and so <laughs> the same reason, um, flat windows that just move on a flat surface, um, on a really large flat surface, um, you know, whether it's in standing up in front of you or whether it's a table surface, um, that's not the ideal way to work with flat content, and. Um, so, but you kind of have to do the work to figure out what's a better solution um, because it's really hard to shake that intuitive idea because it seems so obvious. I always work on a table it's top, right? Like why wouldn't all my windows just be in a table in front of me? Well, you know, because you actually kind of want to look at them straight up, not yeah. down. <laughs> Uh, one of the things that I loved about the bridge is like at a certain point you show an example, you're working on a project or something like that. And just the ability of being like, I know my Spotify window is bottom right. And you just kind of like look, look over and you can like work with the full Spotify window. Like it's right there. I know where it is to me. When I saw that, that that's when like something unlocked there where I was like, okay, like this allows you to use the full like spatial, nature of who we are as as humans to really have different kind of workspaces different kind of things that are placed in in different spots and requires so much less shuffling around of oh let me move the window here let me adjust let me tweak this oh click this menu open this no like all my stuff can be right there and i think that's super awesome and would make a huge difference to like creative people like us when we do our work and it feels like in our industry <laughs> screens computer screens we never really took advantage of that the fact that humans are so good at remembering where we put stuff like yeah. in, a, in space so you know even with our windows mac os the desktop is something that designers like <laughs> people at apple like we want things to be aligned in a grid and like really well organized maybe all you know anchored to the top right or whatever or top left windows but then people just like drag stuff all around and they kind of know where stuff is and like that's how they work like they know that folder is on the top left because i put it there and you know and if it feels like we're always trying to fight that a little bit like push for like consistency order alphabetically all of that and we never really took advantage of of that like special awareness that humans are just naturally so good at. Yeah. I wonder whether that's uh, partially due to the limitations of, you know, the kind of small amount of space that we have on monitors today in, mm-hmm. you know, um, just naturally. Um, and that was to me, one of the biggest, um, well, yeah, I guess I should say, yeah, if you have less space, you, you just got to be more, um, you got to be more careful with how you use the space. And I think that's mm-hmm. what we see uh, people using their their monitors, even if they have two big monitors next to each other, they're still very particular about, you know, what they're going to show at the same time, like how many windows they want to have open at once, etc. Um, and one of the major learnings that I had while I was just experimenting with the VROS prototype was 
you know, initially going in, I really thought it was all going to be about, oh my God, I can look at a hundred windows in front of me at the same time. You know, wow, I'm going to be so incredibly efficient and powerful and <laughs> fast because I'm going to digest all this information at once and so on. But really, the more I used it, the more I realized it's not about the total amounts of windows that I can look at at the same time because I'm still kind of just focusing on one at a time anyway, no matter how many are around me. But the ability to just, yeah, let me just move this thing over here because, you know, kind of over to my left because I'm going to deal with this later. And where it is over to my left, it would be actually awkward to try to do work in, right? I didn't move it to the left because now I want to turn over to the left and actually like, I don't know, it's my code editor and I'm going to, you know, edit my code in here now with my head almost at a 90 degree angle over to the <laughs> left. I'm still just then going to grab that window and bring it back front and center. But it's knowing that that's there allows me to just work with my windows like they're objects in space and I can just organize them very freely as opposed to having to go, all right, I want to edit my code. So now let me hide this other thing first. Now my code editor is going to go on top of the thing I was initially doing. So now that's gone. So now I, I need to bring that back once I finish the quick edit. I love how you didn't try to be too clever because like, you could do like, okay, if you select a window, we will move it to the center and focus and maybe we'll automatically rearrange all the windows to be around it. And like you didn't, it, it requires a lot of manual like labor. You're going to drag windows a lot around, mm. which I think is the right way. Like if you put someone on a desk with a bunch of like stacks of papers and documents and folders or whatever, that's what they're going to do. They're going to move stuff around. And if they're going to work on a document, they're going to physically take that document, put it in front of them. If there's already something there, they're going to move it around. They know where stuff is because they are the ones rearranging things, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's when the computers try to do that for you, then it's like, where did my window go, right? Because <laughs> I think that was pretty smart. Overall, like that's my favorite thing about this whole concept is the, just how sober of an approach it is, right? And it, starting with like the fact that you decided to go with flat 2D windows that we are so mm. familiar with. And sure, like like we like you mentioned, it's not that it was easy. There's a tremendous, you know, amount of work uh, to make that work, but how you didn't try to make the windows full 3D or whatever and you manipulated with this with your hands or, you know, like minority report style, like you just still use your keyboard and mouse. It's still in 3D but in a, you know, still a flat 2D plane that you manipulate. Um, and that was all of these other concepts, more, maybe more flashy concepts. There's a lot of, it's a lot to ask from users and even developers. Like if you want to, you know, be on this OS, you have to fully redesign your UI and apps. Um, but this approach is like, it makes sense. There's not a lot of trade-offs. Like there's, you still use the computer in the way that you kind of that you know how to, even a concept like new concepts, like the bridge, I think, put this in front of a regular computer user and they don't have to know about the bridge or use it like right away, understand it. I think even just how, from what I've seen from all the demos, right? Like I think it's, it's pretty easy to slowly discover. Like if you, yeah. you're going to start by dragging windows and that starts to make sense. And then if you drag the window like below the horizon line and then this behaves differently and snaps to a place and like, Oh, okay, I get it. Now it stays here. Um, that whole thing was like, it just made up. A lot of sense. Good job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you were saying uh, you said sober 
um, you know, it's kind of a sober solution. And I, I totally take that as a compliment. Um, I, you know, (laughs) I, I like to, you know, I like to say, um, conservative, um, I've been trying to talk about it as like honest in a way Mm -hmm. Like it's just, um, I really didn't start out trying to make, you know, I didn't go, Oh, minority report is really cool. And I want to do something (laughs) that's like as like crazy involved as possible. Um, I really very, um, you know, very simply said, yeah, I want to move around the apps that I'm already using today. And I want to move those around in an immersive 360 degree environment. And then I want to see how to make that so that it feels like it could actually be something that's useful. Um, I do um, want to give a shout out to my former team at Apple and, you know, kind of the, the more senior designers, especially um, the manager on the team um, who, you know, who was always pushing us to make things that we really believed had um, relevant application that was actually something that people would want to use for a good reason or use in a specific way for a good reason, not just make completely pie in the sky crazy, you know, just because it looks cool or because it moves around the screen in a cool way. It doesn't mean that somebody would actually, you know, find this to have a purpose in their lives. It's probably, um, it comes maybe with the territory of being in a team that's mostly trying to uh, show off future I mean, that's, that's what the team was that I was on at Apple, right? We were trying to investigate new, um, new, uh, new applications for technology that maybe nobody has like put kind of a face on yet. Um, Almost like R and D kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, whether it was a new sensor that was developed and, Presumably, you know, maybe um, there was an innovation and now the sensor could be in any of the products that Apple has ever made or new products and and just trying to pretend like you already have that sensor available and making new experiences around it on, you know, any platform that you could dream of. Um, It does take restraint in the way where you shouldn't just go completely off the rails and make, you know insane future stuff that nobody will ever be able to use. Um, and I could see that happening really easily uh, when that's your team's MO. How does it feel like to be on such a team? Because I feel like on one hand, it must be one of the coolest thing ever because you get to experience new technology and like think, be thinking about the future and inventing it in some cases. But on the other hand... Sometimes it might take years, you know, like 10 years before like something you did can actually get to see the light of day. Like, is it frustrating yeah. or is it fun and exciting or both? <laughs> it's both. I, I mean, you, I think it's a, um, how do you say it's a, it's a prerequisite that you're okay with never shipping something, hmm. um, when you go to a team like that, um, by the way, it's uh, the the pro the so called prototyping team of the sensor software and prototyping org. It's run by Jeff Bernstein. You should, uh, if you're interested, you should definitely reach out oh. to him. <laughs> um, it's uh, the team is not there to ship something. You know, the team is not the team that's gonna take something to the very last pixel to then push it out the door. Um, so. 
you can be working on a lot of things that might either never ship or that even if they ship, somebody might take ownership uh, over um, some of your ideas or some, you know, some of your solutions and turn them into something that makes more sense for the, hopefully more sense for the, um, you know, final product. Um, and uh, which might be three years down the line, as you're saying. Um, and you have to be okay with, um, you know, not being the, the person who, you know, really pushes it out the door. Um, at the same time, yes, it comes with, and if that's not a problem to you, then that's not even a negative, right? And so for me, that's mm-hmm. absolutely my stance on it. Like I always loved making just new things that, you know, showed people new potential. Um, and I was okay with the fact that I could hand something over. Um, and then other people would run with it. If, if I inspired somebody to see a new opportunity in a product, like that's amazing, right? Especially at the scale of Apple, where you can really have then big impact on, um, what might end up in a, uh, in a final product. And then of course it comes with the upside of, um, of working on, you know, things that nobody has really thought of belt before maybe never touched before at least not in like a user experience or interface concept um context uh which might also be daunting to some people like truth be told it's not everybody's jam uh to go and work on interfaces that are you know it's like okay you have a blank screen and you don't get to um use ios components to say like oh you know this screen has a tap bar and you know (laughs) this and this is going to happen of course um it's more like okay uh here this sensor uh spits out some crazy wave forms when you wiggle the phone like that and you know how could that um be helpful in the context of the greater context uh sorry the greater context of the entire operating system or even things that are as almost like intangible as face id right what did you like we worked on face id but really what do you work on for face id other than the onboarding (laughs) right right because it's just oh yeah a lot of time on that uh, little lock icon (laughs) exactly (laughs) oh my god look how that lock icon opens it's so cute (laughs) but really it's a, a question of you know what is the timing of these things? What are the angles that the sensors can see you in? Um, what is, um, you know, what are some of the things that can happen on the screen with content that you didn't really associate to Face ID? Like, let's say the, um, you know, how um, the content of your messages is hidden until you um, Face ID recognizes you. Hmm. Um Ironically, I've been on an Android phone for the last 18 months, so I barely remember all the things that iOS does. So let's talk a little bit about that, because (laughs) when I texted you, the the first thing you replied was, I'm sorry about (laughs) the green bubbles. (laughs) Um, And uh, you were like, yeah, nobody, uh, you know, I I wish I didn't have to use this this Android phone, phone, so... (laughs) Uh, to be fair, I I said um, I said I wish uh, I didn't say I wish I didn't have to use this Android phone. I said I um, I wish I didn't have green bubbles. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I definitely would have made it better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I definitely wish that um, you know it wouldn't be uh, there wasn't such a stigma associated to it, or let's say even yeah. you know really 
um, you know, in actual functionality, texting with somebody who's using an iPhone, like iPhone people always text me videos and they think I can actually see those videos. <laughs> and I have to look at something that is about the resolution of like a 32 by 32 oh my GIF um, on the screen. Uh, MMS, yeah. <laughs> Um, but the thing is, and I think, I guess it was a clever thing, but it, it, I, you kind of forget, like, I, it's like, oh, you can't send videos over normal text messages. I don't know. I've been like through our little conversations. I've, I wanted to do so many times, like just do the tap back actions, like the little mm -hmm. like thumbs up or whatever. I was like, yeah, that's not SMS. <laughs> Is it? Like, yeah. I don't even well, know. I that still is available on our conversation, but I don't know what happens if I do it. Yeah, it uh, actually sends me a text message that says, um, "Kevin emphasized um, the following <laughs> oh message," God. and then it just repeats my message. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> you must get a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I uh, started an using Android. Um, so my wife works at Google. She's um, the uh, she's leading a pretty big chunk of their industrial design efforts now. Nice. Um, and so all the, uh, all the home, or I should say nest stuff. Um, she's, uh, the new, the new, hopefully soon to be released pixel buds are from her, like all this type of accessory nice. stuff, uh, all the colors and all the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so you're using the pixel seven or uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm actually using an, extremely awfully beat up pixel three um but i did definitely think okay so i left apple um no more iphone hookup um <laughs> i need to buy a phone and i might as well once in my life own an android phone especially since my wife is now working on them you know she does right. the colors the it's colors like doing a full cleanse for the phones <laughs> yeah <laughs> Who thought so? yeah i, I did you know, I do feel like it is maybe somehow of a learning moment in terms of being a well-rounded, um, <laughs> you know, designer who also knows the other platform. Um, mm -hmm. I have come to the conclusion after something like 18 or more months that um, I have not learned anything very significantly from using Android for a long time, <laughs> only that double pressing the power button to go straight to the camera is definitely a better way to get to the camera than whatever <laughs> iOS is doing. Um, yeah, totally. That is amazing. Yeah, I, I got a Pixel 3 XL whenever it came out and I did use it. Also my first Android device ever and I used it for like as my main driver for three or three weeks or four weeks. Oh, wow. Weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't replace the phone. I was like, this is, this is an experiment. And um, I, I got a new sense of appreciation for the platform. But it did make me appreciate like the iPhone more <laughs> for yeah. like other things that I didn't really notice much or just took for granted, I guess. Um, I have really, really not yeah, gone back to iOS to interacting with an iOS phone barely at all like i mm -hmm. never my wife pretty much never says like oh can you just like check this thing on my phone quickly or whatever you know it's like i'm just never interacting with an ios phone at the moment and it's really i'm really kind of looking forward again to rediscover ios and see how yeah. ios actually feels different now that i feel like android is the new normal right. um 
Like every iOS user gets tripped up by how Android scrolls at first. Just the scrolling behavior is so different. Um, I think it's quite a lot no faster. No rubber banding. Also. No rubber banding is is crazy so awful. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, but now I'm really curious to see how I'm going to deal with scrolling on an iPhone when I'm <laughs> I'm back there. Um, I'm excited for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Please we'll live tweet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I do have a thread on all the things I discovered about Android when I started using Android. So I think I'm going to oh, nice. do a, a Twitter thread on, you know, one by one, slowly posting all the things I'm rediscovering about iOS. I'm excited already. Yeah, I've been eagerly following that as like, oh, interesting. You know, like I, because I've never really used Android and I know it wouldn't be for me. Like, not because I, I, like it or, or i don't like it or i think it's bad or anything like that. all my stuff's apple like it's just yeah. i just can't like you know um so that's been really interesting another thread that you've done that i liked was when you explored um like a folding screen concept yeah and you're like looking fun. at what it would mean to have better interfaces for um those those kinds of new phones that are coming out with the like goofy folding abilities <laughs> or whatever um and i thought that was really clever that was fun um i i mean i literally bought two pixel 3a phones <laughs> did you you taped to them that. together right i taped them together yeah <laughs> um i i used hot glue and like balsa wood in the back to build like a oh little structure <laughs> um but I actually, um, I actually tried to live with two phones side by side for a little bit when I bought hmm. them, um, because it's it's fairly simple, right? You just pop your SIM into one of the phones, and then you do a hotspot Wi-Fi sharing to the other phone, and then you right. just have all your apps running in both phones, and you can just use them at the same time. And uh, I thought that was quite interesting. Um, I. This also ties back into kind of the idea of honest design, right? I don't necessarily think it's super honest to go and, you know, let's take, you know, the Samsung Fold. Insanely involved hardware, super fragile, super expensive, and not at all proven really whether any of the experiences that it could deliver are actually better on this like folded out bigger kind of almost squarish screen than what you have in your pocket anyway, <laughs> right? Like, if you think about it, holding your normal phone sideways to watch a landscape video gives you the same amount of space as holding a Samsung fold sideways. <laughs> it's just a landscape screen, only that the fold gives you two landscape screens next to each other, which is... Hmm end up being a square screen with a crease in the middle. Um, and so, like, watching a video on that is not better, <laughs> right? Um, I don't know, browsing websites, like, assuming the website um, recognizes that you're in a mobile browser or on a browser with this specific size or skew, that it shows you the right version of the website. But, I mean, most websites are pretty simple at this point to just browse on a small screen. It's all just, like, one column layout anyway. Yeah, it's also the most awkward breakpoint. <laughs> it's kind of like that uh, portrait iPad size. Oh, where it's yeah. like, should it be mobile or should exactly. it be desktop? I don't know. It's kind of in between. Yes. Right? Uh, Instagram is not going to be significantly better to use on this like huge screen and so on and so on and so on. So to me, 
it's like not at all an honest product proposition. Um, so what I wanted to do was really just go and not really do any interface work at all and just look at, okay, if I have two phones next to each other as if it was kind of a folding clamshell phone, but it's made of two regular phones that we're used to today, what can I, uh, kind of what can I do if I'm just um, loading two apps side by side? You know, two different apps side by side on one phone each. Um, you know, what interesting combinations come from that? What do I think could actually be useful? Um, what apps do I imagine could run on both phones at the same time, but don't actually require a continuous screen? Um, what apps, you know, just like looking or thinking through the use cases that way. And the conclusion I came to was just, look, most of this I can just do really easily with just two sets of apps running on two phones and that's it. Um, and, you know, there's minimal work that you could do to say like, oh, copy this content uh, to this other screen or launch this piece of content in another app on the other screen. Um, and um, to me, that's a significantly more honest way of looking at it than saying like, oh, and therefore you should pay $2,000 for this new thing that's going to fall apart if you, you know, hold it the wrong way. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, I mean, clearly it's not ready, uh, but I, I do think it's like everyone wants, like, it's an iPhone when it's folded and it's an iPad when it's when it's not. Like, if you assume that that, like, it wait a couple of years and you can get it to more or less a point where you can have that, then I think it's like, what are the practical use cases? And I think some of them maybe you came up with. I forget if, if it was you or if it was someone else, but having like sort of a split view thing or like getting directions on one side and then having another app on the other yeah, and like no, definitely. having these kind of different sort of ideas for how you can use that space beyond just make, you know, make it one big screen. And I think, cause I think that doesn't really make sense, but I feel like as a product, like today, this, this never made sense. <laughs> this is just a tech demo that they decided to ship. Yeah. Well, I would totally um, agree that I would love to be able to somehow fold open my phone and then have a two-column layout versus a one-column layout, right? Yeah. Um, if I could see my inbox and one thread next to each other at the same time, that would be awesome. Or, I don't know, choosing music while my messaging app is still open, awesome. I don't need that to be a continuous screen. I'm significantly more interested in a form factor like this uh, Microsoft... What is it called? A duo? duo? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> so I'm fine with the hinge in the middle, right? Like I'm totally mm. fine with there being a break in between the two screens. Um, right. So I definitely see there to be potential. But then even with what they showed, they were like, oh, and it runs this totally new version of Windows and like everything has to be like super integrated. And it's like, <laughs> no, you know, just have your email app show two columns at the same time across the two screens it's like <laughs> right that was a tangent yeah <laughs> I, I feel like okay where were we again but um i feel like we've answered most of my questions to go back to vros by the way just so this makes sense transition <laughs> with vros like you've been sharing a lot like almost every week you have a new video where you like deep dive and try into some design like nerdiness like i've never seen before and i'm 
totally here for it. I think it's super awesome. Uh, but what's next for it? Like, what's your, I know initially you started out and it was kind of like, Hey, I'm just, you know, leaving this job. I just found myself like really obsessing over this problem. Like, let me work on it and let me put it out there and see what people think. Now that it is out there and you're kind of like breaking down a lot of the, the thinking behind it. What's next? Where are you? planning on taking this somewhere are you still working on that concept like what's your what's your vision for the future yeah so now that it's actually out um i do have you know different people and companies reaching out to me about um, things that are more or less directly um kind of connected to that space maybe um and uh, so that's interesting. Really excited to kind of have these conversations um, due to, you know, COVID-19. <laughs> Everything is going a little bit at a, you know, at its own pace and in its own way. Um, I feel like everybody's still kind of figuring out their processes. Um, but I have a few conversations which are exciting. But, you know, now that I put it out, um, nobody can really, nobody can really own this work. Right. And so for me, um, I'm quite happy about that, actually. Um, I'm, I'm happy about this outcome. Um, I have definitely showed, um, I have shown this work to companies in confidence um, before publishing it to see whether anybody was interested enough to say, like, ooh, this is something that we should kind of really run with or whatever. Um, and um, didn't, you know, total honesty like didn't get anybody to um be excited enough or at least um you know i got people to be excited and but then they didn't really necessarily turn that excitement into an opportunity so um so for me i always knew that uh, a really happy fallback for me was going to be publishing um because similarly as with my car ui the way that i occasionally hear back from people and they tell me that it's still inspiring their actual car interface teams in Germany or Sweden or Japan or whatever. Like to me, that's exciting um, mm. because I know that I made an impact on like where products go. Um, and so I knew that putting out VROS was also gonna, like you cannot unsee it, you know, sorry, right. sorry to, sorry <laughs> to anyone who saw it, but like now you saw it and whether you um, think it's garbage and you want to specifically um, work towards a different direction or whether you think some of its components are cool and you want to pursue them further, like either way, I made an impact on where computers might go in the yeah. future. Um, and so I have a few more videos in the pipeline for sure. I'm, uh, I'm excited about them. Um, they are, <laughs> I find them incredibly hard to do, uh, to make. Um, because I am, uh, I find it super hard to demo something at the same time as talking about it. And I, so that it doesn't balloon out of proportion. I'm really just trying to do like <laughs> one take, boom, you know, minimal edit and then just throw it out there. That's why I end up having a 40 minute video about the rendering of windows. <laughs> that was the best video to be honest. I love it. <laughs> um, uh, I'm glad. Yeah. Um, no, and so I want to continue documenting it because I really want every single idea that I had along the way to be documented for other people to learn from. Um, 
if you know i would really love to end up at a company that is interested in something like that not necessarily oh yeah let's make an operating system that you are consuming through an hmd like i i don't care about the specific solution i'm like super not married to it as an artifact um but uh i'm just interested in really uh, thorough investigations of what new platforms could be like and i just refuse to believe that uh hmds aren't going to get better in the future hardware wise more comfortable less awkward looking etc um and so to me it feels like there's no way around this stuff to be on our desks eventually and then i want to be able to put the thing on and use it in a way that doesn't make me feel super cringy and awkward um i just want to be able to use it with the same ease as you know going you know opening another app on my desktop mm-hmm. let's say someone listens to this and is like oh my gosh i am so glad you know you have matt on the show and talk about this this is so cool where do i get started like how do i do this kind of work like what would you tell them what's a good starting point for doing some of what you do are you saying generally the type of work that I do regardless of VROS or specifically VROS? Yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of like just prototyping, like even yeah. the car thing, I think I get a feeling that it requires this sort of like multidisciplinary nature of I'm able to like take an idea I have and then turn it into something, even though it might not be the most polished or final piece of code ever or 3d i don't know how like the vr stuff works but yeah um how do how how would people get started i think for the type of stuff that i do um unfortunately there is no way around learning how to code to a certain extent mm-hmm. um so that's going to be that's going to be something that you would have to be comfortable with you know or really that you should be excited about Um, because otherwise it's probably going to grind you down. (laughs) Um, But I always thought that coding was really fun. Um, So that helps. Um, There are great tools that allow you to do prototyping um, without much coding, no doubt. Um, But, you know, the ultimately some of the intricacies that um, I'm, you know, exploring in something like the car UI or VROS or some of my funny little prototypes for my website. Um, they usually, they don't really build on standard components that somebody imagined um, and might have built a prototyping um, tool around. Um, it's always like weird uh, offshoots of behaviors that are ultimately so custom that I have to go in and like, tweak it in code um and so yeah coding is fun um coding is um regardless of whether you're a designer or somebody else coding is just another way of basically visualizing something and um i don't think it's weird if designers know how to code (laughs) or Uh oh we're we're getting dangerous exactly exactly (laughs) we're getting there um but you know i have no i Nobody should be forced to do um, to know how to code, and nobody should be forced to never touch code because you're just a designer. Just embrace it the same way that you embrace a pencil, if that's your thing or not. You know, um, 
but yeah, the type of work that I do definitely requires you to be able to um, kind of be a bit crafty with mm-hmm. whatever um, you know whatever you're being given, um, even if that's nothing, and you have to start making something from scratch. Um, otherwise, it's just um, I would say curiosity. Um, look at um, look at all the interfaces around you, um, and uh, and and observe what works and what doesn't work, especially the interfaces that are not apps. Um, because that's what my work is not at all, not even a little bit. It's not hmm. app architecture, right? It's not. And I definitely call myself a user interface designer, even though I don't know whether that's the right um, word for it. But if I had to pick between user experience designer and user interface designer, I would call myself a user interface designer because to me, the interface is this kind of purpose-built thing that reacts to you in the very moment. Um, my work is less about like flows across like 80 different pages and you know crazy connection points in that architecture. It's more like, all right, you're on this screen now and you can really use the screen as a tool in the moment and it needs to react to you at a millisecond level so that it feels responsive and um, you know useful. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so that's for me. That's user interface. I don't know, um, and usually my work revolves around making user interfaces for new products or new platforms, or maybe more at the operating system level than the app level. Maybe right. that's one way to boil it down to. Yeah, nice. Just spoke to me. It's <laughs> awesome. Same. Um, cool. I want to be mindful of you know your time. We're already past an hour. We didn't even start talking about your home. (laughs) 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 I'm chill because uh, I have a time off uh, of my kids right now. So, (laughs) so this is the the most comfortable comfortable I've been in a, yeah, in a while. (laughs) I, I moved uh, recently here and it's a new construction. So I'm definitely not doing the kind of like insane, like renovation house remodeling you're doing. But I've been insanely inspired by like all the stuff that you've been sharing about your house and all the kind of like level of little details. So yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just like really, really like appreciate that you're sharing that stuff um, with the internet. And um, I'm also kind of curious about what the process was like, because I feel like as a designer, I mean all of us are obsessive over all the details of our lives. And I feel like designing your house must be like a big deal. And so I don't know, I guess I'm curious what that process must've been like working with an architect on kind of getting your vision out. It's kind of this collaboration in a sense, but yeah, I don't know. Um, it working on the house was, uh, I mean, was crazy, crazy opportunity. I mean, amazing and kind of scary. Um, and, uh, like a privilege totally. Um, Mm. it's, it does feel, it does feel a little bit awkward talking about it. It's funny because it's not, you know, um, in a way you, you have to pay a lot of money for the privilege of being able to do that. Um, and that, puts it in this awkward category of your um you know when i posted some pictures the other day like some people like messaged me being like oh my god stop bragging about your house or whatever and it's like it's not about bragging it's about like having made a thing and being really proud of um the result 
whether that's yeah. whether you needed a lot of starting capital to make it happen, which is usually the case when you make something that's physical. Um, you know, whether it's a Kickstarter project or whether it's your house, um, as opposed to software where you can, you know, conveniently get started with like anything really. Um, but yeah, the house, we, um, we bought the house, um, five years ago, um, and, uh, pretty much immediately started, you know, designing the whole space. Um, it was totally a dream of both my wife and myself to one time, being able to live in a place that we really design ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we knew we wanted to do that. Um, and we actually, um, we actually made our um, staying in America contingent on whether or not we would find a nice house that we could, we knew was a good base for a renovation um, that we kind of gave ourselves oh. a timeline and said like, okay, if we don't find something by then we, you know, we might as well just like go and, and see what else is out there. Um, and um, Did it come close. <laughs> it came very close, actually. Really? Um, yeah, because um, this is one of the few uh, moments where I feel like a new year type resolution really made sense in my life because we were sitting um, um, at New Year's. My wife and I um, had a quiet New Year's and we were talking about what happened since the last New Year's and we realized that we were still in the same exact spot and we were still trying to find a house and... We were really struggling uh, with kind of overall happiness around the, the whole situation. Um, we lived in a tiny studio before that for five years, the two of us. Um, first place where we that we moved to uh, together. So we like really jumped into the cold water there. <laughs> um, and um, so, you know, and then and so we basically said like, OK, um, you know, maybe it's time for us to leave. And then two weeks later, the house <laughs> showed up. Wow. And wow. Uh, so it was really, um, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, so we, we bought the house and, um, and yeah, immediately started designing a space for ourselves in a way. Like we lived in it for one and a half years before we even did anything to it. Hmm. Um, and oh, just wow. started kind of tearing down walls and poking holes into things and, you know, seeing what's, what's, what's the foundation, you know, like, what does this thing look like if you rip away the carpeting and, and all that kind of stuff um, and build full scale models of certain things that we wanted, you know, like a bathtub and uh, stuff like that. Um, that must've been interesting. Like that process of living there for a little bit, like kind of gives you an idea, maybe a little bit of the stuff you're going to need. For sure. I can, uh, I mean, you know, if you're in a situation where you can do that, I would absolutely recommend it because Ultimately, it's a space that you really inhabit. And, you know, it's like a, it's this super weird, different thing to our jobs here, um, where you're like surrounded by it, you live in it, you know, it changes with, with how you move through it, etc. Um, it changes with the seasons, everything, um, mm -hmm. really learning how um, we um, we were using the space really helped us with the design process. Um, we found... Um, our architect um ryan he um we found him is funny we found him through one single photo he posted on instagram um it <laughs> wow. showed up it's uh, it showed up in my explore feed like for the first time ever that something useful was in explore you know <laughs> my god <laughs> and um and i just saw this like one detail that he resolved really nicely in the um in the design of that um of that house that he he posted 
And I was like, oh, this guy is like the same kind of, he's imagining the same type of like detail oriented, simple, um, taste level. Um, and so he was an amazing collaborator. Um, even though we came in with like tons of ideas and a really, um, good idea of what we wanted to do. Um, he really then put that into like, okay, let's be real, you know, like, um, you, you gotta make something that actually makes sense to live in, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so he like really helped us, um, put our ideas into a shape that would result into something that would function really well as a space, be buildable, etc. Was there anything that you had in mind that didn't make sense as a space to live in? Um, I would say it was more, it was probably more d detail solutions, you know, like it's easy to fall in love with like, oh my God, I want every single door to disappear in the wall to do this and mm -hmm. that, you know, like sometimes you have these, you, you fall in love with maybe gimmicks, you could say, even, you know, even in architecture, even in, you know, um, and turns out you need pillars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and he, you know, he helped us, uh, really understanding what some of the things that we were imagining, what the consequences of those would be. Um, mm. he also, um, really helped us with some like major where we just didn't see a solution for certain, um, um, problems for like how one room flows into the other or how we could create an opening to the outdoors. And he was just like, I mean, in one particular case, it was like, Let's just build another wall outside of the house there that all the doors could slide into. And I'm like, hmm. but you can't just like have an extra wall sticking out from your house on the side. And he goes like, yeah, but look at it this way. Suddenly it creates a courtyard here. And now we could put another window into this courtyard. And suddenly you have this like really cozy space that you can look onto as well. And hmm. so just by like nice. adding this totally counterintuitive thing that i could have never seen because it seemed so strange he's like he like solved one problem and created another opportunity at the same time hmm. and so that you know stuff like that and then of course i mean it's a it's a huge relationship right like it's a long many years relationship that you start with somebody where you first go through this entire design process for many, many months. Then you go through all these official processes of permitting, etc., finding collaborators to construct the whole thing and then shepherding the whole project through construction together with you on the spot. I mean, a lot of the solutions need to be found while being, while you're in construction. Right. So it's ongoing. How long was the entire process? Um, so yeah, from moving in, spending one and a half years in there, it was probably something like, um, nine months of design with the architecture, uh, with the architect, um, having, you know, him working on plans, making everything so ready that it would be so well documented that you could get a bid from a construction company, from a contractor, then finding contractors and we broke ground um september of 2016 um and moved in so this is where it gets tricky um because we certainly didn't move in when the house was done um hmm. because everything that everybody tells you about construction is true it takes longer it's more complicated it's probably more expensive than you think when you get started um and in our case i mean we lived in a uh in an ongoing construction for 
more than a year after we moved in. Um, and, um, you know, eventually really rocky relationship with the contractors and stuff like that. Like everything, <laughs> you know, er- everything that somebody would tell you a construction project is going to have in store for you, we had to go through. Um, but eventually, you know, we got it there. And then the interesting challenge of living in it, knowing you know, associating every detail with a story, whether it was like a positive right. or a negative story. Um, so learning to live with your design is uh, quite interesting. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I assume this is in California? Yes. We live in Sunnyvale. I, I don't, I don't want to sound creepy, but I'm in love with your bathroom. <laughs> 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 and that uh, shower is a glass ceiling. It's just, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when I looked at that, I was like, that is, you know, I want to go to there. Uh, and yeah, I wonder like how, well, what's the relationship with you know, winter? Um, yeah, I, I, I assume it's, it's very different from, at least from the pictures that you have on your website. It's, it, it probably adapts, like it changes the space. The winters are definitely very different in the house. Um, it's clearly made to be for the warm weather. Um, it performs well in terms of, um, you know, retaining the energy that we put into the house, but you know, it's, uh, when you have a very open shower that doesn't have like a kind of small confined space that you can close with a door, uh, you're dealing with a lot more cold air that can come into the shower throughout the entire shower that you're taking. So <laughs> uh, that's something definitely interesting that I learned um, that um, you need to heat your bathroom a lot more when you have a very mm-hmm. open shower. Uh, not something I expected. <laughs> The last last point I want to make is just um, I was surprised at just how little like technology you actually have in the house. It seems like yeah from, from the pictures, you know, and coming from you and working the in tech. Uh, I mean, both you and your wife work in tech. It was uh, it was surprising because that was something you were purposefully trying to to like keep out of this home as this place, or it's just that's how you already were before. Uh, yes, it's, um, we definitely didn't want to have a lot of integrated smart home stuff. Um, it's the, the architecture itself doesn't lend itself, uh, really to that. Um, and, and we had, you know, we had, we were working with a pre-existing house, so we couldn't just kind of tear everything apart. Um, and, um, you know, that goes down to the details of like, oh, is like every wall easily accessible um, or is some of it blocked by important structure that you can't just like put wires through, etc. Um, and so, and we didn't want to have like a super decked out, crazy integrated smart situation. Um, we wanted it to be more lightweight. And of course, yeah, my wife works on all the smart home products that Google is making. Um, and so um we knew that we, you know, I guess before they even launched, we knew that uh, we wanted to, we were going to have just a couple of like, you know, now they're called nest minis uh, sprinkled all over the space, you know. Um, and, uh, and, but really the biggest, uh, to me, the biggest decision in terms of like how much technology do, do you want to show in your house is the TV. Um, and we knew, um, we knew we didn't want to have a TV in our living room, which actually goes back to, um, we didn't want to arrange all of our furniture around the TV, right? Mm. Like a TV, um, has very significant impact on the direction of your living room. Yeah. It's like a black hole. Like it yeah. pulls gravity. <laughs> everything gets pulled yeah, absolutely. And yeah. we didn't want that for our space. So we have a TV, um, 
we have a TV in our bedroom, uh, a serif TV, which is hands down my favorite design of the last 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, so amazing. I have yeah. to say, it's so, I was not aware of this TV. It's so popular here in Amsterdam. Yeah. Like, I've never seen it in my life. I moved here and I have like three friends that have <laughs> this TV. Like, amazing oh, taste. <laughs> I think you're just <laughs> hanging out with designer nerds. <laughs> also true. Probably. Also true. <laughs> You gotta be a designer slash furniture nerd. Yeah. <laughs> where's the uh, Where's the cable on your TV? I'm looking at the picture. There's no <laughs> There's no cable. Oh, it's, it's solar a, powered. It's yeah. It's, <laughs> Just kidding. There is definitely a cable. We did not uh, fake it that terribly in the in the photographs to even like conceal the cables. It's just probably conveniently not showing because of perspective. But it does only. Um, it's not plugged into anything other than power. And for other um, owners of Serif TVs, um, a little hack, you can take a cable, a power cable from a HomePod, and you can plug that into your Serif TV instead, because the cable that the Serif TV comes from is like all kinky and stiff and black, and the HomePod cable is like really nice and kind of snaky and wobbly, so it makes nicer curves. (laughs) <laughs> and just like sell the the rest of the home pod it would be the very expensive cable but like you know <laughs> nice it's fascinating yeah like so many cool details and uh yeah it must be surreal to live in that house like just looking through the pictures uh like being surrounded by nature like that like should be really mm-hmm. awesome so yeah i don't know i just have good words i think this is cool <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a good house to to i mean it's you know again it's a privilege to be able to live in a space like that especially during these times where you know access to the outdoors is not that easy etc mm-hmm. how have you been dealing with the situation has it been bad for you or okay like dealing so, with kids all day yeah, I have a um, I have a four month old and a uh, three and a half year old, um, which is a pretty um, brutal combination. Um, so first of all, my wife and I we've been basically at home since December when our son was born. Mm. Um, so we've been basically quarantined <laughs> since December. <laughs> you had a head start <laughs> on the quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that happened, um, and uh, and uh, now that we're like quarantined for real, um, schools closed, of course. So my three and a half year old, she would go to preschool, and now she doesn't go to preschool. Um, but it just results in um, us having to keep her happy. And so the little one, he's like, you know, he's just sleep, diaper, eat, sleep, diaper, eat. So he completely sets the pace. And then every moment of free time that he allows us is where we have to make sure that our daughter is happy. Um, and three and a half year olds are not easy to keep happy. Uh, they do, they do not imagine. know how to, they cannot play by themselves for just one second. It's crazy. Um, and I am slightly ashamed to admit that she has gotten really good at Zelda in the, uh, in the last month. Nice. Uh, she does think that Link is called Zelda, which I find very adorable. <laughs> so many people do. Yeah. <laughs> She's not alone. So you asking to be on the show was like a cry for help. like Basically. <laughs> that is exactly it. I was like, please, I need a good excuse to spend two hours just talking about adult stuff. <laughs> Fascinating. All right. Uh, before we, we, we 
let you go back <laughs> to your kids in Zelda. Um, let's do some recommendations. That's the thing we do. I think Kevin told you about it. Yeah. So, Kevin, do you want to do you want to go first this week? Yeah, I can start. So, my recommendation is this book called Small Pleasures, and I bought this book uh, last year, I think, in a museum, and uh, I read it a little bit. But I just found myself coming back to it now that I have a lot more time. Um, and it's such, I find it like the perfect book in this time because like all you read on the internet is always negative. And this is a, just a book filled with, it's like a very short kind of essays. It's a page, a page and a half of just small pleasures in life. And it's just, <laughs> I find it a really cool book that makes you appreciate things and makes you slow down. And just realize, you know, we might be stuck at home and the world might be terrible right now. But there's a lot of things that are that are nice. And the way it's written, I find is just like super, super great. Like I I just find that the somehow like who the writer is, which there's not even any name of a writer. It's by the school of life. <laughs> but um the writer really speaks to me, like in a way that I feel like, yeah, like I agree, like that's really well written. So I've really been enjoying this book lately. So that is my recommendation. So what is a small pleasure that comes to mind? So I can I can look. What I do often is I open a random a random page. So one of them is holding hand with a small child. Um, yeah, pretty good. One of them that is, is good. staring out the window. Um, <laughs> finding your feet abroad. And like a lot of them have kind of like an image and oh, nice. just like a little little description. So it's kind of a good book to have on your coffee table that's just there. And then like you sit down, you open it at a random page and it kind of makes you think for a while. Nice. So it's good. All right. I, I can go next. If for anyone who follows me on Instagram, it's no surprise to anyone, but I got a new set of mugs that I'm really in love with. Um, so they're from, they're, it's two, two different sets. They're pretty similar, but they're also kind of different. I got the, they're both from Fellow Coffee thing. I fell in love with, the, with their products. It's the Joey Double Wall Ceramic Mugs and also the Monty Milk Art Cups. Um, I, I got like one, in, they have one in white and black, a little like bronze uh, accent thing. I just love these mugs so much. I love the weight. Uh, they're like, they have a double wall ceramic cup. So, you know, it doesn't get hot, it holds the temperature pretty well they don't have any like handles i hate that in mugs i don't know when i'm putting in a cupboard <laughs> i don't know where they should be facing i i hate it so the fact they have no handles i love it and uh yeah but that's it for links in the show notes nice so but what happened to your um to your mug that was like self-heating or whatever oh, plastic amber mug uh, this is my desktop. okay <laughs> so so you're using that in addition to this one yeah you know i <laughs> I also have other people okay. <laughs> live here or like guests or whatever. Okay, cool. So this, so I use the Ember mug effectively when I'm at my desk working, but like coffee in the morning and just whatever, every other beverage, because this is still a very nerdy mug. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, but uh, no, different use, use case. But yeah. nice. They're really cool. I like the black one. Cool. Right, Matthias. Two. I have two recommendations. Uh, recommendations. Uh, one specifically for Kevin. As a new, new Switch owner, <laughs> yes, re- reasonably fresh, I guess. Um, 
My absolute favorite game on the Switch is uh, Dead Cells. Gotta play Dead Cells. Ooh, okay. Never Dead Cells. What is it about? So it's like uh, kind of Castlevania-ish, um, side-scrolling, very like fast-paced 2D combat, hack and slay, whatever you call these games. Um, <laughs> you just run and just, you know, slice everything apart. Um, but it's very quite simple and very skill-based, which I think is really fun. Um, you know, sometimes it's nice to just play something for 30 minutes that's just, like, really um, fast-paced and doesn't try to involve you in, like, a super large story where you have to kind of, every time you have to re-remember what it was about. Hmm. It's especially good for people who have kids and who can just jump in and play and then, you know, move on with their day. <laughs> Ten minutes <laughs> nice. later when somebody's screaming at them. Um, <laughs> yeah, so play that cells. It's great. It's also from an indie developer, so... Um, that always helps. Sweet. Um, yeah, I'll check it out. Because I've I found that as a gamer, I'm just not very patient. <laughs> like, I find mm-hmm. that if there's, there's too many, like, the cutscenes are too long, or there's too many, like, dialogues, <laughs> I just zone out. So yeah. this, this sounds like a perfect game for me. We have to talk. Yeah. <laughs> and then my second uh, recommendation actually goes with the kitchen theme. So Ooh, um, nice. just adding to Rafa here. Um, so I found this... I mean, I found this is um, probably a rather well-known brand, globally speaking. They're, it's a Japanese brand called Noda Horo. Um, and that's probably not how you pronounce it in Japanese, but, you know, <laughs> sorry. Um, they make a lot of animal, enamel, enamel right. products, like the, you know, the white stuff. Um and uh, they just make really beautiful, simple kitchen stuff. Um, and I recently bought a uh, a butter jar, butter case. Oh, uh, from them, and it's so it's just so nice to have a simple, beautiful, but it's like no big deal. You know, it's just like a white box with a with a wood lid, but it's just you just know that it's not some injection molded piece of crap it's it's still kind of like nice material somehow um but it's also like the simplest thing that's not trying to like show itself off in any way but it's just nice to be able to replace one by one slowly replacing things that are not that great in for example your kitchen with like really thoughtfully designed things that you would love to just keep forever um and it really brings me joy every time I use it, even though it's something so trivial as like a butter thing. Specifically, you know, my recommendation and something that's worth looking into um, about it is that I ended up realizing that Amazon has so many of these brands that you would think are super exotic. And then you, whether it's through like third-party sellers or, you know, bigger, like the companies themselves actually selling on Amazon, you can really find these things. Um, you don't necessarily have to mess with figuring out how to like decrypt a Japanese website in order to <laughs> place an order, and it's going to be like 150 bucks shipping, which is definitely something I might have done once or twice before. <laughs> um, and and then you go to Amazon and you realize, oh, the butter case—it's 30 bucks, and you know, free shipping tomorrow. And uh, you could have—and I understand, like you should support individual shops 
you know, if you can get it locally, try. But if you just can't, try Amazon. It's surprising what you can find on there. Yeah, I would never assume that I could find on Amazon. But yeah, now I, I Googled for it and Amazon was the first link. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how easy it is and that's how... <laughs> stupid i was to first buy it with like 60 dollars shipping from some other store i like at least from this product shot how the you can use the the wooden lid as like a resting mat for the butter knife yeah yeah i don't know if you've been using it that way but yeah nice. yeah you could also place the butter on the the wooden lid actually you could use it upside down <gasps> oh. right and then just have the butter rest on there to make it easier to kind of carve through it depending on whether you like right. to scrape or to carve your butter. Hmm. Wow. Boom. Fascinating. Nice. That's really cool. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's... I, I love stuff like this, and I would totally get it. My problem is I made a commitment to Walnut. <laughs> My <place. laughs> Oh, no, cherry wood. It's so, it's so hard. Like, I find so many things that are nice like this that I just can't get because I'm like, <laughs> this is not going to be the one thing that doesn't Dude, match. You, you got to expand. You got to just have a design system break for the mold. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very nice it's very nice thanks for that and thanks so much for being for joining us today this was already it's like on my top favorite shows in recent memory this is so fun thank you so much for having me it was uh it was awesome before we let you go <laughs> like we're keeping you um where can people find you on the internet if they want to see more of your work or follow you on the social medias cool yeah What's um, place for? It, uh, I am I have a awful name to spell <laughs> the spelling of my name is awful is what I mean um, so <laughs> if I say I'm at Mateus nobody's going to be able to just type that in <laughs> so uh, check in the show notes for the spelling of my name yeah <laughs> and um, but yeah I am at Mateus on Twitter um, MateusCran.com for my completely random collection of little and bigger projects um in my totally not designed portfolio um <laughs> which does have a funny mouse cursor though so check it out on a computer i know not on your mobile <laughs> device um and uh, oh, i wonder what happens if i visit on the ipad with the cursor do you know oh, with the cursor on the ipad no, damn know. look at you with your new fancy tech devices <laughs> oh my god Dude, do you want to take a guess of what happens? Um, <laughs> I, I would think that there, the cursor, the circle, appears on top of the the cursor that I implemented. You were really close. Oof. So you do see both cursors, but the native one is under your custom one. It's and so and then like if you just move the cursor around, your cursor like lags because it has that you know yeah. um, motion inertia. To it, so. Cool. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So. Um, that's it. I don't have any significantly... Int- yeah, don't expect much from my social media participation, please. Thank you. <laughs> Follow the YouTube. Oh, yeah, YouTube. Boom. Yeah, yeah. I am. I think I am youtube.com slash Matt Kren because that is my email address, wow. right? So that's how that works on YouTube. Like on, on Google, they just take oh, really? your email address. Oh, and then, really? And um, See, I don't, I don't know, know if I could ch- have changed the, the name, but now the links are out there. I want- Damn it, now everyone knows your email address. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm really worried that I'm going to get more spam on my email. From our listeners, yeah. <laughs> Feel free to email me. That is my preferred way of communicating. <laughs> nice. 
right. Well, this is super fun. Please come back. Uh, yes. We'd love to have you on again. More. So, when you uh, need a break from your kids or like an excuse <laughs> to, you know, just I'll, I'll take you here, up on that next you. week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't talk about the ipad case though um i don't have an ipad so and i'm extremely far away from owning an ipad case (laughs) impossibly far yeah no it's fine it's very underwhelming um but it's cool let me just say that it's like just how strong these magnets are i cannot like overstate how strong they are (laughs) it's like and magnets what a technology um but like they can still feel so modern like futuristic the fact that if i have the the case um actually calling it case i think probably the tech reviewer some tech reviewer already mentioned this but calling it case it doesn't really make it justice like i don't use it as a case ever because folding it it's very awkward and requires a lot of force (laughs) so it's not really meant to be used as a case uh so it's more of a stand so just prop it up in whatever desk or whatever you if you're going to use it and then you just put in you know take the iPad out and those magnets it's so satisfying to just throw the iPad in and just like gets attached. <laughs> Did you see nice. the um the MKBHD video on it? Yeah, he, with the little the, like yeah. sheet that he puts over it. Yeah, he always has this like a magnet paper that shows yeah. <laughs> what the magnets actually look like and it's I mean it is crazy. There is like 700 magnets in that thing (laughs) (laughs) and the magnets itself probably are also acting as just a weight you know like to add weight to the the whole thing because the case is heavier than the ipad right i mean you all saw the video um you can definitely feel it so i don't think this is intended to be used as an actual case (laughs) it's like Um, it's a stand that you can transport (laughs) pretty much like you can put it in a bag so it doesn't have to be like on a separate thing fold it around the ipad but it's very awkward to use it that way using it for the last what couple of days when do you find yourself touching the screen and when do you find yourself using the trackpad mm. do you always use a trackpad when it's in the keyboard or do you sometimes sometimes touch the screen i find myself using the trackpad like 80 percent of the times hmm. um well first of all there are apps that are clearly not like they don't support trackpad very well even scrolling or something like um like the GitHub app, no shout out Brian. Uh, <laughs> if you're scrolling through like a list, sometimes if the cursor gets like focused on a content, like an image or something, like the scrolling speed, it gets like stuck in that place hmm. for some reason. I don't understand why actually, because it shouldn't. But whatever. So some apps like the the, the whole scrolling behavior is it's kind of wonky, um, and that just use your finger. But yeah, I feel like 80%. There are a couple like uh, things that it's just easier to go and tap on something. Um, if it's like a one-tap interaction. Uh, <laughs> so that's 
Yeah. But it, it was surprisingly like, easy to adapt to using an iPad with a keyboard and trackpad. I thought it would still feel weird or like I would find some resistance. But turns out you can't really beat this form factor. Like, yep, you know, we know how to use this. It feels familiar. Like, don't really have to learn anything. How often do you lie on your back in bed with your device on your propped up on your stomach and you use it that way because that is my probably my primary way of uh interacting with my laptop which is why for me like all these foldable foldable tablet situations just don't really work because i need that thing almost as close to my chin as possible doing the little you know yeah the claw yeah. that interacts with the trackpad <laughs> uh so i personally don't really use it in that form factor uh, <laughs> very often but if i had to i think this would be okay probably because i think it's 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 worse when you're doing the opposite angle so if you're like so if you had a laptop you were just opening the the lid all the way you mm-hmm. know because then, because it's top heavy, it would like right. fall. <laughs> but because it's the other way, you know, you're leaning, it, you're like closing it. I'm lacking the words vocabulary to, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it. I, I would assume it actually works pretty well. But again, I don't really use it that much. Like I, I still use the iPad more without the keyboard. So I just use the keyboard like like this morning. I spent the whole morning doing email and accounting things always fun and so i just <laughs> the trackpad and, and keyboard was pretty useful uh for that because just propping up the, the on-screen keyboard it's infuriating <laughs> like the whole thing um so for that it was pretty pretty cool to to have this uh but i still use the ipad like just more often like in bed or in the couch just just as a tablet nice i don't know hey the the, the trackpad clicks remember that like it actually like goes down, like moves when you click it. <laughs> I guess they don't have any; they don't have the room for all the haptic motors and shit. Um, also, it does actually even when the when it's not when the iPad is not plugged in. Does the does the tra- trackpad um, click? Yep, physically. Oh, all clicks. right, wow, a physical click, old school I know. throwback. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a shame because haptic feedback would be so great when it snaps onto something. Like it would be perfect for that. But oh, for uh, no. I mean, with a cursor, yeah, missed opportunity. But I mean, the whole iPad doesn't have a haptic motor, you know. Yeah. All right, we should we should wrap up. It's uh, past midnight here. This Ooh. is super fun. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like three different time zones. Time zones. <laughs> what a concept! Yeah, I know. 